All right. Well, good morning. Uh, and for those of you who are joining us online right now, I just want to welcome you. Um, this actually may, for, for many of you online, may, this may be the first time you actually made it into the church service and sitting down at 10 o'clock in history. So well done. We're glad that you're here. But we also recognize that given the unique uh, situation of logging online for many people, uh, they may still be trying. So right now we're just going to go ahead and play. We're going to go ahead and worship one song right now before we dive into the actual service to give some people time to figure out how to get online. So let's go ahead and worship together. I should turn my mic on, right? So you can hear my comments along the way. Nothing like having that song and then in and then realize I forgot to put the pulpit up here earlier, a little bit distracted. I'm sorry about that and take away from that moment. But who else would be preaching uh, on a day when young boys and girls on Santa Ana Street have traded in their lemonade stands for toilet paper roll single sales for $5 a roll at Santa Ana and 22nd? Any of you can reach out and get a good deal on a roll of toilet paper. Don't worry, eBay's selling hand sanitizers for $50 a jar. It's all going to level out here very soon, folks, but probably not today, right? I'm so glad that you're with us here. Um, I just had a chance to realize, you know, I've been working on trying to get video and live stream for the church for about a year. And due to this situation, these guys were able to put it together in about a day, one day. And it's... It's a professional videographer from our church who's doing it, so it's substantially better than anything I could have ever done uh, in a year. So, and Mark tells me there's already like 50 people online from Vegas, Nevada, North Carolina, all over the place. So, hello to you all, and thank you for joining us. And hopefully, I won't knock anything over. I'm going to slide over so I have a little bit more room. I, I've been known to wander, so uh, let me get this situated here. Like I said, it's a difficult time. Uh, it's an adverse time, but it's an interesting time because the truth is the church has been around long enough to have gone through things like this before, right? And uh, one of the things that Pastor Eric was talking about this week, and in case you guys haven't known, Pastor Eric is doing a substantial amount of stuff behind the scenes right now to help our city and other churches kind of deal with this process as well. But we were talking about the church's response during the plague and the idea that the church was not uh, afraid of the situation. So as all the world was kind of running away from it, the church actually kind of ran towards the situation. And in that moment, the church actually was able to embrace the sick, care for the sick, and while they were nurturing and caring for the sick, share with them the faith that God had. And I find that interesting because if you look at the full history of our church, the Protestant church, the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, actually some of the very first hospitals that were ever made were religious organizations. Some of the very first college institutions, Harvard, Yale, all those schools were all religious institutions. When you talk about the first senior or elder care religious institutions, no matter what the type of care it was, no matter what the situation was, the church never had to run from something. It simply was able to walk with people in the adversity that was the situation. And so church, that's my main plea to us is whatever we talk about kind of becomes the most important thing. Remember just a few weeks ago, we were talking about Kobe Bryant and his uh, daughter and that whole group of people. And boom, right? That whole situation. Have you heard about that in the last week or 10 days? No, because the world has this tendency to kind of embrace the moment and embrace what's going on, and that's all they see. But we're not like the world, and we don't have to see things in that same capacity. And maybe it's also because I've kind of dealt with this before. I actually lived off the 91 freeway for about 10 years and dealt with the coronavirus every single day. If any of you have ever driven the 91 freeway between 5.30 in the morning and 8 a.m., shortness of breath, 
screaming and yelling, I, aren't those the symptoms? Because I had all those for about 10 years and nobody seemed to care. So trust me, there's a lot of people out there suffering. Almost 5,000 people have passed because of this, but this too shall pass. We have God's word, this too shall pass. And when it does, remember this, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Right? Let me read that again. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, spirit, and of love, and of sound mind. If everyone else is running towards the toilet paper roll, just remind them. If they can't find, if they don't have it, please call the church. We already have some, and we're ready to help them out. However we can help in this situation, that's what we want to talk about. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about giving in the end of the passage. Pastor Eric's going to come up and help share that part with us. But first, I just want to tell you that we're in uh, an interesting chapter of the scripture. We're in uh, Acts 11, Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. So if you want to turn there, Acts 11, 19 through 30. The reason why this is so important is obviously if I'm going to speak, if it's my turn in the rotation, then four or five weeks ago when I got my you know to-do list, this particular message that was given to me couldn't be any more providential than what it is today. And I mean that with all sincerity, providential. Because the reality of this passage is today, it starts with a scattered church. It starts with the situation being the previous chapters we found out that Stephen, the first person to be killed for his faith, has caused the church to be scattered. And so from the first church that was in Jerusalem, this first body of Jewish believers, they've now been scattered. And as they've been scattered out, they've been sent to a couple of different cities. One of the cities that they're going to land in is Antioch. And Antioch's not just any city. Antioch would be a lot like Long Beach. It's a seaport village. And because of its strategic location, because of its density and population, it's going to be absolutely key to so many different things. And what's interesting, this first group of people that arrive there are just the church regulars. They're not the senior pastor. They're not the elders. They're not the leadership. It's just the scattered body of believers from Jerusalem. And I find that to be so exciting for me as I get ready to share this with you, because the reality is the work that this, it becomes the first Gentile church. This first Gentile church in Antioch, Antioch then sends out to the rest of the world this way that they have discovered. Which means as we sit here today in this building, we are a repercussion of that DNA almost 2,000 years ago that that first church planted in Antioch supernaturally by being scattered, by being under persecution, that God powerfully used to help us even foster this idea that we're meeting here today. Now, they were scattered to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, and to Antioch, but Antioch is the city that we're going to focus on, and we're going to focus on it for a couple of different reasons. It becomes the first Gentile congregation. So that first group in Jerusalem, they're still there, right? That's going to be the main church where the elders and all the key leaders are, but this is the body that has been scattered out, and that body that lands becomes the first full-blown Gentile congregation. It's also going to be the first time we use the term missionaries or missions, right? We, we talked about missions here a couple of weeks ago when uh, Pastor Don got back from Costa Rica. The idea that church has this mission capacity in their verbiage, this actually comes from the city of Antioch, from this first group of people who, because of strategic location and where they've been placed, are going to find themselves having access to the whole world around them. And when you talk about Paul or Saul's travels all, uh, all throughout the world, it's because of this location. Paul also ends up headquartering there. That's where he's always going to come back. As he travels all over and sees all the different lands, he's always going to come back to Antioch. It's also this place where the term Christian is used. 
right? And we've talked about this, that the word Christian is a derogatory term. But they took it on as a form of encouragement to say, hey, look, we are Christ, little Christ. We are followers of Christ. We are little Christ. And that's where this term was also first spoken. And as I mentioned to you, as a seaport village, what happens is you have a lot of people that are naturally just coming in and through it. And as they come in and through it, they're seeing this congregation that's moving throughout the whole village, throughout the whole town, throughout the whole city, and people are constantly hearing about the word of God. Estimates on the city of Antioch are interesting. About 300,000 on the small, which is Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, and Costa Mesa. Pretty good amount of people, right? But at times during certain seasons, it it, it fluctuated all the way up to 600,000, which would be our same three cities plus Santa Ana. So you can imagine how many people are actually circulating and kind of moving in and out of this one city. So how strategic is it that God would use this dispersion of people from Jerusalem, spread them out to all these different places, and then this one group lands there? I think it's absolutely God's word because along with landing there, they had just received the revelation. Remember in chapter 10, the sheet from heaven or like a scroll from heaven comes down. And in that vision, Paul sees both unclean and clean animals being joined together. And because of that, the Jewish perspective had to change dramatically. They had to change their perspective. No longer was there a select group of people that you could share and talk to. There was just this entire new new group of people that you could talk to. And because of that, this mission, co-mission that's happening is now greater and easier to see the value of it. Now, I keep saying the word mission. So let me clarify something about the term mission. Okay? When I say mission, I'm not talking about our mission. I'm talking about God's mission. That's really important, right? The last thing that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, 19 was called the great co-mission, right? And in that great co-mission, he tells us what we are to do. Go, make, teach, and baptize. And I find it interesting that even today, churches in a lot of different places try to struggle with the idea of creating mission. Mission's already been created, so we don't need to think of mission as something that we create. We need to think of something that he then created us, the church, to carry out his mission. Does that make sense? Because purpose now is driven. Because of that mission, that's our purpose. We don't even have to rethink purpose statements anymore. We already have a great purpose to follow the Great Commission, to go, to make, and to bring others in. As this scripture passage kind of comes together in 11, it's always good to kind of remind ourselves that it started in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 said they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, right? Nothing can happen. We're talking about the song Holy Spirit. Nothing can happen until the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Upon that moment that the Holy Spirit fell upon them, that original group of 12 to 72, whatever it may or might have been, all of a sudden, 3,000 new converts come. And so it has this local kind of beginning where all of a sudden the Spirit falls. And in the first few chapters of Acts, we see God begins to move. Then in chapters 3 through 10, that 3,000 to 5,000 group of people goes out to the next surrounding cities, right? With Samaria, Judea, they're going out to the surrounding areas. And so we have this kind of local movement moving into like a communal movement. And it goes from about uh, 3,000 to about 10 to 20,000 believers, Now we're in chapter 11. What we're finding out is that group has now been dispersed. And as they land in different communities, it's now going to go out to the entire world. And that ultimately, that is the Great Commission, right? To carry the word of God to the ends of the earth. And thankfully, due to the things like the internet and some of these other things right now, that's actually in motion. Uh, And soon we might see that the word of God has gone to everyone. We talked about last week about Cornelius and his oikos, his sphere of influence, how they were drawn in. We talked about how Stephen the martyr was, um, was the first person to fall, and he fell at the feet of Saul, and Saul will come back today and also play a role in this very amazing passage. 
So let's turn to the passage. Let me pray and we'll get started. Acts 11, 19 through 30, uh, First Church in Antioch. Father God, I thank you for the morning, and I thank you uh, for what is an opportunity to see your hand in difficult times. As I kind of spent this week looking back at all the adversity that the church has been through from its inception in Jerusalem to its movement here today, Father, we have been part of seeing miracle after miracle of seeing your hand work. And we do realize it is a difficult time, and for some, Father, even more difficult than others. Regardless of where anyone is this morning, Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, they can do as the scripture said and and be still and know that he is God. And because of that, Father, your word says clearly that I will never leave you or forsake you. That's Jesus' words to them. So they're not alone, no matter what their situation is. I pray that the church can be the church. I pray now more than ever that you would use this body, Lighthouse, and all the churches in Costa Mesa and anywhere there is a church, Father, that they would reach out to their surrounding areas and be that light. Be the person who brings food. Be the person who brings medicine. Be the person without fear, without intimidation, Father, to be the church now. May we rise up in the name of Jesus and represent you well in this situation. We do it all and say it all in your son's name. Amen. So I'm going to try to read, and I position myself in the dark, so this should be good. All right. Barnabas and Saul at Antioch. Now there were those that were scattered after the persecution that arose after Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So they're scattered because uh, their faith has made them subject to being put to death. Verse 24, but some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene, who they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Now, Hellenists from back in chapter 6 are the Greek-speaking Jews, right? Greek-speaking, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So what's happening in Antioch is now going all the way back to the church where the elders and most of the key, uh, key people are. It's all being done originally by just the first church. And when he came in and seen the grace, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with the purpose of heart that they should continue in the Lord, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many more people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek who? To seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So it was for a whole year that they assembled the church and taught them, and a great many people. And the first disciples were called Christians in Antioch. And then there's a situation in Judea. And the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which happened to be in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea, and this they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So let me start first with the passage starting in verse 19, spreading the word among Jews. Now the first thing that's going to happen when you get to a foreign land, when you get to a new place, is you're going to try to find people that are like-minded, right? If any of you have ever traveled before and you go somewhere and let's say it's a Spanish-speaking nation or whatever it is, and you hear English being spoken by someone, there's a natural gravitation to kind of move towards that person because it's going to make communication easier. Not only is the language the same, but then like your culture and your traditions are going to be the same, so additional conversations. And that's what they're trying to do. When they first get there, they're trying to figure out who are the people that they can talk to, who are the people that they can share with. So one half of them kind of go to that initial group. Then another part of them also go to the Hellenistic Jews, right? Now, Hellenistic Jews are Greek-speaking. 
they're Jews, but they're, they speak Greek. They're, they've kind of followed the way of the Greek culture. So they don't have the same traditions as the Greeks do, but they have the same language. Either way, they're going to move towards them, and they're going to find out what it is that they can do. And verse 20 says, when they move towards them and they begin to share with the Greeks, the Greeks also respond. Gentile Jews, Gentile Greeks, all coming together, trying to find a common way to share their language and share the word of God. And what happens is it's going to require a little bit of getting out of their comfort zone in order to share because they're in a different place and things are happening different and they're going to realize something. If they're willing to get out of their comfort zone as they've already, they've already been moved from Jerusalem to Antioch, if they just step into faith in that situation, that the Lord will in fact use them. And what happens? They begin to speak, they begin to share, and people begin to follow. Now the Lord's hand says, verse 21, that the Lord's hand was upon them and a great number of people believed. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever we go on a mission, whenever we go and share with people, um, that's always my aspiration that a great number of people would come. But often what I find is we go to a place and it's, it's usually Christians that we're ministering to, right? So it's kind of an interesting situation. This is not the situation for them. Everyone they're ministering to, everyone they're taking care of is non-believers. And because of that, the faith grows. So we should always remember incorporate that in our mission trips, not just to go and be there for the believers. We, we want to be there to encourage them, but to make sure that we actually minister to the community at large. Why? Because it says the hand of the Lord is in it. And I know that when we do go and when we do speak, there's always language issues. Matter of fact, recently in our trip to Costa Rica, Don and I were talking about a situation that occurred just recently. And what happened was when Don got there with the team, they would go visit with the family that they wanted to help. And they would visit with them, let's say, on a Monday. And they would tell them, okay, on Thursday, we're going to come back and we're going to fix your roof. Simple conversation. Don's wife translates it in Spanish. And every single time they had this kind of situation, the verbiage came back. If the Lord wills, then okay. And it became very frustrating to the team and to Don saying, why don't they understand? We're saying we're going to come back on Thursday. We've just brought 20 people. We spent this large amount of money. We have a church that we're, we're, why are you not, what's happening here? If the Lord wills, no, the Lord wills. That's why we're here. We're going to be there Thursday. But they had a different concept of James 4.15. James 4.15 says, why do you say tomorrow you're going to go? Why do you say you're going to go do this and that? What do you have? You have today. So although they appreciated what they were saying, there was this communication barrier to say, if you come back, great, if the Lord wills. But if not, thank you for coming today. And often the, the group would, would come with like a fruit basket or something because they were very, there were some great needs. And Don said the craziest thing would happen. You would bring something for them knowing that they were in great need. And while you're sitting there talking to them, they already had somebody up chopping it all up and bringing it back to you. And he's like, it was just this crazy concept. It's like, no, we're trying to be here to bless you and do whatever. But that's not what's in their culture. Their culture was to bless the people who were blessing them. And I find that to be a wonderful capacity about missions. So it's a great sidebar. If you do a mission, you will find this to be true. Anyone who's done a mission asking this, you go there under the pre preconceived notion that you're going to bless them. And what you'll see every single time is they bless you. And so that's what's happened. And all of a sudden, the church is doing these things. They're talking to people. They're looking for opportunities to bless people. And people are responding. And as they're responding, something's happening. The oikos, the sphere of influence that God has now given them, even though it's so separate from what they know, they're making a difference in it. And I think that's a great thing for us to remember. All this is going to happen before verses 24 and 25, before Barnabas is ever sent. Now, Barnabas and Saul end up being like these key players, right? Barnabas and Saul would be like the church elders or the leaders. But think about this. This entire movement of this first church in Antioch, the first church that we definitely are part of that DNA day, the first church is done with no names of any of the regular players who take, role, take part in that. 
Now, this morning, there's going to be a lot of different things to kind of hear and learn, but just for that one point alone, I hope that encourages you. If you always feel like I'm just part of the regular body of the church, I'm just like one of the regular attenders of a church, I hope you realize something, that God has been using the regular attenders from the very beginning of the church. From the very beginning, it wasn't about the elders or the pastors or the gifted or the special ones that could do the work and will of God. It was the very regular people who just showed up and said, God, use me, here am I. That is powerful. And what continues to happen is no matter where they go, no matter what they do, they don't have to worry, right? They were tested and tried as they left. And God is now using that testing and that trial to say, look, that gave you the condition of your heart to be ready to share this information with them. And now you're going to unleash it and send it to the rest of the world. They send it to the rest of the world because something happened to them. They had been transformed, right? When we say the word transformed, it came out of the book of Acts, verses 10.43. Acts 10.43 says this, All the prophets testify about what they hear. Everyone who believes in him and receives forgiveness of sins through his name is what? They're transformed. And you have been transformed. You regular attenders, church people, have been transformed by that same power, dudamas, that same dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And you have that same ability to go out there and see amazing things in your community, to see amazing things in your oikos, in your sphere of influence, to see amazing things right here in Costa Mesa in this very time, for this very time. Why was the blind man made blind? For this very moment has God chosen us to be part of it scattered from our homes, pushed to the wind, even some of their brothers and sisters killed for their faith. All it had done is tested and tried them so that they would be ready that when they finally landed on this island area and had an opportunity to speak, they did it. And now who do they get sent to them? They get someone sent to them who's not coming out to quell this movement, but they're getting sent to them what the Bible considers to be one of the greatest encouragers in the Bible. If you have a friend who's an encourager, if you know someone who's an encourager, do them a favor and call him Barnabas. Give them the privilege of looking up that name and seeing what this man does. His ministry and specialty was encouragement. And he's coming there to say, hey, look, guys, what you have done, what you've already done before any of us ever got here is already proof that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that landed on the church in Pentecost in Jerusalem, It's true that that same spirit has now landed on you, the Gentile church, the grafted in ones, and God is manifesting in you the same way. And his encouragement is so uplifting and so strong for them that he's not trying to quell what they're doing or kibosh what they're doing or put rules and regulation on it. He only wants them to be able to do it in such a way that it perpetuates and continues. And obviously they have, as we sit here today, they did it well. I love that. It says uh, that a great number more came, right? A great number more. It's not like they hadn't done well in the beginning. They had already done very well in the beginning. But as soon as Barnabas gets there and gets to get encourage them and say, guys, not only is what you're doing great, but I want to affirm that the same spirit, I saw that same spirit move there. I was there. I saw that. And now I'm seeing the same spirit move here. We have the spirit of God. This is not going to be just a movement in this city. This is going to be a movement that travels all through the world. He was building a launching pad in Antioch. Remember Jerusalem, they came to the Lord, they started to have believers, and then what happened? For about a year, they just what? They just kind of went stagnant there, and they stayed there. That's not going to be the situation for this first church in Antioch. He's building like a a Tesla-based launch pad there in Antioch, and he's setting them up to do something that's not going to just like affect that one city. It's going to blow up. I mean, Rome might be the biggest city and all that, but they're going to end up sending people to Rome. The word of God is going to begin to travel out from that point 
all to the entire ends of the world. I love that. When God begins something in our hearts, he's not trying to do it just local. He always has the intention in us that he's going to use us to affect our oikos. Today, you might be sharing the love of Christ with your neighbor, but tomorrow when they have to move due to financial situation or other situation where they land, that same seed then goes with them and exponentially and exponentially because the sower and the seed principle reigns true here. So let's reflect back on that really quick. The principle of the sower and the seed is one seed never grows one seed. You throw seed and there's different soils, right? And there's going to be different situations that choke out that seed. But if one of the areas is good soil, it never comes back one seed for one plant. The manifestation of a good seed is what? 30, 60, 100 fold. That means the word of God is going to go out exponentially from one good seed. And that's what they're doing, man. They're just throwing seed. They're like, Lord, there's going to be good seed. There's going to be bad seed. There's going to be good soil. There's going to be bad soil. But just let the word of God go and let it go to everyone around us. So Barnabas, what does he do? He's having, a, he's seeing how it's working. He thinks to himself, I'm going to go get somebody and bring them back. That's going to add even more fuel to the fire. And who does he go get? Saul. Wait a minute. Why would he go get the guy who caused the dispersion? Mind, mind blowing. Saul is the guy that was in Jerusalem that killed Stephen. And then they set the stuff at his feet. He's the one that started the whole that whole thing is all transpired. And the greatest activist against God is now, this great agitator is now this great activist for God. Church, if that doesn't say God is good and in control, I don't know what to tell you. Today, when you see someone on the news or when you see someone in the neighborhood and they're in totally opposition to God, atheist, agnostic, whatever verbiage they want to use, those are the kind of people that we should be sharing the love of Christ with. There's no greater proponent for Christ than someone who's been in total opposition to him. And he knows it's going to take a journey. He has to go all the way to Tarsus to get him. But it's worth it. Why? Because when they can see the very people who had to leave because of him, when they get a chance to see the very guy who caused this insurrection and see that he's now one of them, what's he going to do? Man, it's just going to pour more fuel on the fire. And it's just going to blow up even more. Antioch's going to blow up even more. A small little group of 12 people, a small little group of 72 people, a little contingency of 3,000, 50, 60, 70,000 people strong and growing. And here we are today. You count the numbers. What did they do? They went and got him. And what does it say? A great many more come to Christ. How could they not? If you left Jerusalem thinking that Saul was a good for nothing, and if you had any kind of disdain in your heart, who was it going to be for? Saul, for making you leave your hometown. And then all of a sudden, Saul's there with you in Antioch telling you, hey, guys, this is an actual movement of the Lord. Look what he's done to me. On the road to Damascus, this is what he did to me. He changed my heart. He changed my soul. And I, now I'm completely with you. They come together, and they bless each other, and they bless the people. And what does God do? He continues to multiply. Now, as any church goes, as the reading continues along, a situation's going to happen. And someone's going to stand up and say, hey, look, there's going to be a situation. At this particular time, it was going to be a famine. But it's only the idea here is that there's always going to be a situation, a famine, a flood, a plague. There's always going to be something. And from the very beginning, that situation, when it arose, the first church knew they needed to have a response to it. And so what are they going to do? The church is going to pray about it. They're going to gather themselves together, and they're going to realize something. Judea is a small little town. They don't have much. 
But look what God has given us in Antioch. We have so much. We have so many resources. God has blessed us tremendously. So what should we do? And they all agree. Let's gather our resources. Let's make an effort to address the situation. And because that situation is very similar to what we're facing right now in our own town, I think it's totally appropriate that I invite Pastor Eric up to finish this passage as we talk about the church's response to scarcity and how God used the church. Thank you, Barnabas. Uh, Appreciate you. Seriously, when when you start talking about an encourager, you're the first person I think of. And then there's Byronibus back there as well. Um, Let me just read this section really quickly, just to kind of ground us again. This is in verse 27. It says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And when we say down from Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem is south, Jerusalem is situated on, on a hill. So basically, anytime you go anywhere from Jerusalem, you're going downhill. So they had come from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of these guys, a guy named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this ended up happening during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this. They gathered it up, and they gave their gift uh, for the elders, and they delivered it by Barnabas and Saul. I just I love the fact that we have been in the middle of Acts for months, and yet on the particular weekend that we find ourselves in, when our society is going through its own famine, if you will, our famine is, is called the coronavirus, and it has impacted our community in ways that I have never experienced in my entire lifetime. And I just find it very interesting, and I really feel like it's it's God's supernatural provision that He has us in this passage on this particular day. You know, I have never walked into a store in the 42 years that I've been alive, never walked into a store in Orange County, I've lived here my whole life, to see entire uh, rows completely decimated. First, it started with toilet paper. Then it went to water. Then it went to, uh, my wife on Thursday night decided to go, I'm going to go get some chicken to make dinner for us. She goes to the meat aisle and all of the meat has been purchased, gone, nothing left. Even the spam is gone, ladies and gentlemen. That's how bad it's gotten. And we started, I mean, she she left totally like, man, I just feel like this is all overblown. And when she came back to the house, she was shaken to her core because all of a sudden, this thing that we've been reading about on the news was real for her. And the effects of it were real. And and what we're experiencing is this overwhelming sense of fear that is then driving people into a mindset of scarcity. And when I say scarcity, this is what I mean. Sociologists refer to it as the law of limited good. The law of limited goods is there's only a limited amount of goods, and so I better get mine, right? There's only a limited amount of toilet paper, and who picked toilet paper? I thought this was a respiratory thing, but apparently... You know, we're in church, so I'll edit my thoughts. But it started with toilet paper. And and at first, I'm sure that somebody thought, you know what? I don't know how long I'm going to be trapped in my house. I should probably take an extra thing of toilet paper. And they took it. And then the next person said, oh, that's a good idea. They took an extra thing of toilet paper. And then the next person, the next person. And suddenly there's no more toilet paper. And then the word gets out that there's no more toilet paper. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? 
And so then they begin searching for it. And then the next thing was the hand sanitizer. And then the next thing was the water. And then the next thing was all of the, the perishables. I, it's just, it's crazy to me. In fact, on Friday morning, because my wife woke me up at 5.30 in the morning, and goes, Eric, we don't have enough food for the next week. So she sent me out at 5.30 in the morning, and I was embarrassed about doing it. And I find myself at Sprouts. And by the way, I've cleared this with Kathy. She's aware that she gave me permission to talk about kind of her own fear reaction, because this is what happens probably to all of us. When all of a sudden we realize there's not enough, whatever it is, to address this sickness, oh my gosh, there's not enough face masks and, and hand sanitizer. Or uh, food, we might starve. We're going to have to feed the kids beans and rice, ah, right? If you went down to Costa Rica, that's what they're eating every day. But for us, it's like, oh no, we don't have enough pizza. Or, or it's, it's toilet paper, right? We start fixating on what we fear, this could happen. So now we start focusing on the thing that we think can alleviate that fear, whether it be a face mask and hand sanitizer, non-perishable foods, uh, you know, toilet paper. And we try to get it. And the, here's, the, here's the devious part of the law of limited goods or the mindset of scarcity. When you click into that, where you're focused on getting something and you're afraid that it's going to run out, whether it's truly scarce or it's simply a perceived scarcity. Suddenly, the way you look at other people changes radically. They cease to be your neighbors. And they become your competition. Are we experiencing that right now? Are we experiencing, I mean, when, when people are fighting over a thing of toilet paper at Costco like it's Black Friday, right? In fact, on Friday, I was in a Sprouts and I'm just kind of talking with one of the managers. He goes, I, I go, so this is kind of like your Black Friday, huh? He's like, like times 10. He's like, I've been in the, the grocery business for 25 years. I have never experienced anything like this in all of my years. Where people are literally fighting to get what they feel like they need. And they will take as much of it as they're allowed to take, leaving very little for other people behind them. And that is kind of how we are responding to our own famine. And I find that it is such God's provision that he has us in this passage because it gives us an alternative response. We read here that when the famine was predicted, the early church, these Gentile believers in Antioch said, hey, you know what? We're doing all right. We get lots of shipments since we're a port town. The, the, air, the region of Judea, they don't have as much. It's a pretty hilly, rocky area. They may be in trouble. Let's go ahead and gather up our resources as we have the ability, right? They're not like starving their own family to be able to feed somebody else's family, but they're saying that as we have ability, let's pool our resources and send it down to Judea. Now, some of you might be like, well, wait a minute, Eric. You know, they weren't going to be impacted by this famine. They were sending it to the place it was, but that's not true. As we read in verse 28, that Agabus stood up and predicted a severe famine that would spread over the entire Roman world. In other words, everyone was going to be affected, including these believers in Antioch. So why on earth did they respond differently? I think that there's probably two reasons. Scripture doesn't say it here, but it's evident to me that they, they had two things in perspective. Number one, 
they didn't fixate on their circumstances. Their eyes were focused on the one who was greater than their circumstances. They recognized that God was on the throne, that he is provider, protector. You know, he is the one. He has the cattle on a thousand hills and the toilet paper in a thousand storerooms. He had them in his hands and therefore they did not need to fear like the rest of the world was fearing. And the second thing that they had recognized was that they did not simply have a a responsibility for their own little nuclear family. Isn't it interesting that particularly here in the West, our mindset tends to zero down in a time of stress. Our mindset is we zero in on our own little nuclear family, just the people in our home, and we say, these are the people I am responsible for. And so we try to go out and get as much as we can and bring it into our house for our family. And everybody else, they're the others. They're the competition that's trying to do the same thing. But what the early believers recognized is that the sphere of influence that God had placed a responsibility for their family was much, much larger. And so rather than just zeroing in on their own little tribe, their own little group, their own little oikos, they looked to others and said, they have needs as well and we have a responsibility. If we have two tunics, then we need to share with those who have none. If we have you know, two packs or two rolls of toilet paper, maybe share with one with somebody who has none. Right? There was an understanding that what I have is not just for me. I can be generous. And I would suggest to you that the antidote for a scarcity mindset is a generosity mindset. Is the act of saying, I'm not going to grip my stuff or my precious. You've seen the meme out there of Schmeagel with his little roll of toilet paper. right? I'm not going to be like hiding with my precious. Instead, I'm going to say, God... You bless me with this. How can I be a blessing? Now, that mindset has been percolating in my mind for the last 72 hours. And on Thursday, as I woke up to the kind of announcement from our governor, no, no gatherings larger than 250, maintaining some social distancing so we're not sharing our germs with one another, um, I began to go, how can we, the church, respond? Because as much as this is scary and unprecedented, this is also an unprecedented opportunity for the church to be the church for our city. In the same way that 9-11 was both tragic, but it was an unbelievable preparation of the soil. And for the next year or so, there was an openness for people to hear the words of truth, for for seeds of hope to be planted in their heart. In the same way, I would suggest to you that what is coming out of this is even a greater preparation of the soil of our society's heart to be open and receptive to the seeds of hope. And we get to be used by God to sow those seeds. So how can we do that? So I just threw an email out uh, to like the 35 pastors that I'm in relationship in Costa Mesa. And I said, hey, in two hours, I just want to invite anybody who can make it to come and sit and we'll reason together and we'll we'll come up with some ideas. About 12 pastors showed up. About 12 others said, I really want to be there. Can please tell me what you guys come up with, but I can't be there right now. And over the course of about an hour, we hammered out a plan for how the church, not this church, how the church in Costa Mesa is going to respond. So here's how we're going to respond as the church. We have people in our community who are going to ultimately be impacted in a way that they can't leave their home. 
whether because they're older and they shouldn't be in the regular population or because they contract uh, the coronavirus and they need to be quarantined for two weeks. We have others who already all of the schools have been closed and all of those kids are going to be at home. And many of the kids, particularly in West Side Costa Mesa, are dependent upon the meals that they get at school as their primary meal of the day. How do we care for them who are most impacted by this? Well, the beautiful thing about uh, our city is that for the last, I don't know, eight or nine years now, we have been actively working together to care for the needy within our city. We have a couple of organizations in particular that have been on the front line of this. There's Trellis that you guys are aware of that is a, a support. It's a parachurch organization that exists to support the work of the church to love our city and to unite our, our uh, you know, city council with churches, with businesses, and say, hey, we all work better together. They've already been working at Help and Do Stuff. And then we have Fresh Beginnings Ministries. Bill Nelson is uh, part of our church. And he and Kathy run this ministry that feeds thousands of people primarily veterans and people who are in need every single week. They already pack boxes of food and ship them to people every single week to make sure that they have meals. And so we just said, could we lean, could we, the church, lean into what's already there and begin to position ourselves to respond when somebody says, I have a need and I can't leave the house. I'm stuck at home and I'm out of toilet paper or I'm out of, you know, food. Or water, although thankfully in Costa Mesa we have an unbelievable water ta- water table, so you don't have to be afraid of drinking what comes out of your faucet. I'm just suggesting that to you. Fear not. If it makes you feel better, put it in a bottle and then drink it. Right. Um, but we already have this there, and so we began to prepare for that. So that's how we're responding as the Big C Church. And in fact, we've already redesigned the lovecostamesa.org website. The Trellis team has done this. So that when you go on lovecostamesa.org, the very first thing you're going to see is is a a banner that said COVID-19 response. COVID-19 is kind of the technical term for the coronavirus. You click on that. And it'll give you an overview of how we are responding as a, as a church in our city. If you have a specific need, you can then fill out a very simple form. That gets sent to the trellis team. They will call that person, kind of vet what is the true needs here. They will then take that needs list, give it to the Fresh Beginnings crew, who will pack boxes of food to be delivered right into the doorstep. They're not going to bring it into the house, but they will bring it to the doorstep of the people in need. My hope is that we will also be making some handwritten letters that we can put in there because at the end of the day, people don't just need to be fed and be given toilet paper. They also need to be reminded that they're not forgotten. This is a very lonely time for some people. And and the primary thing that we're doing here is to care for those who don't have a community around them of people who can. It's it's a way of saying, whatever we have, as we have means, we want to support. And we as a church are behind this completely. In fact, a lot of the volunteers who are going to be helping packing boxes and making deliveries are from this church, from this particular iteration of the church in Costa Mesa. But we're doing so alongside our brothers and sisters who are gathering or at least streaming from all over our city today. Also, 
on that website, lovecoastamesa.org, if you want to volunteer in some way, whether it's helping pack boxes, helping deliver stuff, writing notes, you can sign up from that same website. There's a form to fill out. Um, so far, we've had a couple of people request help, but we've had about 20 to 30 people say, I'm in to help. And that gives me great hope for our students. I'm really encouraged by that. That's what we're doing as a church. And we, Lighthouse, and many, many other churches in our city are saying, okay, then we are going to redirect some of our benevolence fund or some of our, our missions fund, which we are doing, to help pay for the, the, the food and other things that are being delivered. That's happening. We are going to give from our church to help support this. And, and if you, as you guys are giving today, know that a lot of that is going to go directly to helping our neighbors. Now, what does this look like, though, individually, for, as a person? Well, as I was thinking about what we were doing as a, a church, I also thought, well, what is my family doing? How can I be a blessing to my neighbors? And then it dawned on me. We've been talking about sphere of influence, these cards that we have all filled out, that, that we've identified people that God has placed in our sphere of influence. We have been praying through these cards regularly all year. And we've been more aware of the people that God has kind of sovereignly planted around us. And I realized there are people on my street that would probably never know to go to lovecoastamesa.org, but I can let them know. More importantly, I can actually help. And so I, I wrote a, a quick letter. Basically, the gist of it is, hey, my name's Eric. I'm one of your neighbors. I live down the street. Um, although there's no reported cases of the coronavirus yet, it seems almost inevitable that it's going to happen. And if and when that does, I just want you to know that I'm here and my family is here to help. If, we can, if you run out of something like toilet paper or food, please let us know and we'll bring you some. If you need us to run errands for you, we will do so. And if there's something that we don't have that you need, I want you to know that there's another level of support in this lovecoastamesa.org. And you can go on that site, you can let them know what you need, and it will be taken care of. But please know that we are here and we are praying for you regularly. And then my son and I on Friday walked our street, actually not, not on Friday, yesterday, at about noon, Ethan and I walked up and back down Rochester. We were putting these letters on people's doorsteps. Now, here's the thing that gives me great hope. Before I could even get home, there was already a voicemail in my phone from one of my neighbors who received the letter, and she wanted to call and, and say thank you. And I was going to kind of tell you about it, but instead I'd love for you to hear. I've scrubbed out all of the pertinent information where she lives and stuff. I just want you to hear the response she got back. So can we go ahead and play that? Yes, good morning. My name is Evelyn Whitehead, and I've just picked up your letter in my mailbox. I think I met you, Eric, and your son when I was outside of my house and I was talking to Mike, my neighbor down the street. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for uh, for contacting me. Uh, I'm I'm fine. I am very fortunate. Um, so far, uh, I'm all right. Even though I'm 90, I'm fine, and um, we're getting along great. But I will offer any help. You know, if you if our schools would close. Um, if there was anyone that had a young child that didn't have anybody to take care of them, 
I certainly would offer, even at my age. I still take care of a, a little girl that I helped raise when she was a baby, and she is now going to be eight. Uh, so I'm quite capable. Anyway, I appreciate your your letter and to think that, you know, we are trying to help each other, and I'm sure we will. We'll be okay. I went through World War II as a child, six years. So this is nothing completely new to me. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Take care, and I'll keep you all in my prayers, too. All right. Goodbye now. Yeah. Fear is contagious, and we are seeing the effects of it when we walk into the grocery store. Some of us carried that fear in our hearts in with us today. But I want you to know that generosity is also contagious. And when you resist the posture of scarcity, and you say, no, 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 no. God has blessed me to be a blessing. So what I have isn't just for me and my nuclear family. If I had was blessed to be able to go get 40 rolls of toilet paper, then I'm going to be willing to hold it loosely and say, God, how do you want me to use this? I'm going to look for opportunities. That is within our means, right? As each had the ability, they gave it to help others because they're our neighbors. And, be, and, and because in God's economy, we're all in this together. And so I want to encourage you to take a posture not of fear, not of scarcity, but of faith and generosity. That's what we're invited to do. To be a people who live contrary to our culture in a radical way. Would you practice radical generosity? And that looks like continuing to uh, support the small businesses who are going to be so incredibly impacted by this in ways we can't even begin to understand. Continue to support our church, to tithe. If you are listening online, you can actually go to our website and give online, um, knowing that we are going to be using our resources to care for our neighbors and responding appropriately. We're going to continue to support and pay our staff and our preschool, even though they're not going to be meeting for the next couple of weeks, because we're trying to be wise in this. And then would you practice generosity with your neighbors? I made copies, for those of you who are here this morning, I made copies of the letter that I delivered to our neighbors. I've taken my personal information out of it and just kind of left blank spaces, and you can take it. Please feel free to either use it as inspiration or just steal the wording completely and just insert your name into it and make some copies. If you need to make copies, you can use our printer. I don't care. But I encourage you. Like, for instance, uh, one, one, somebody in our church, when I kind of posted about this, on Facebook says, hey, don't forget about these two trailer parks that are right by where we live. And I go, oh, I'm not. You write a letter to your neighbors in those trailer parks, letting them know how you can be a support and that there's other things, right? I'm not suggesting that we, I and Jeff can't do everything, but we together and the church together as we begin to live as the church we can radically impact our city because there has never in my entire lifetime been a greater opportunity to sow seeds of hope into a soil that is open than right now. Even, even greater than after 
there's never been a better time. So may, may we be a people who are generous. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to worship. If you here in this today, you know, as we, if you have connection cards or if you have offering, we are going to just take that at the back so that we don't even have to pass anything. There's some boxes at the back. You can drop it in there. Again, if you're online, please email us, pastor at Lighthouse Community Church. If you have a prayer request, if you want to give, you can just go to the, the Give tab on the Lighthouse Community website, and you can give directly there. But let's just worship. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because we don't have to fear like the world does. So we can be a people of faith that practice radical generosity this week as we go out and be the church. So Jesus, thank you that because of what you did on the cross, the coronavirus will not get the last word, regardless of what the next days and weeks hold. Thank you that we not only get to have the hope, that even the grave doesn't get the last word. Thank you for that. But thank you, God, that you use imperfect vessels like us to pour out your love into our community. We want to be your representatives. We want to reflect your heart and love our neighbors as you have so generously loved us. So would you fill us up and would you give us the eyes to recognize opportunities around us to be your church this week. But use this to advance his kingdom in our city, in our nation, and around our world. Tangibly speaking, if you want to help, go to lovecostamesa.org and let them know if you have neighbors who are in need, you be the church to them. And if there are needs that are greater than you can meet, have them go to lovecostamesa.org and they can, they can get the need that they, they can get the help that they need. Um, specifically, I was talking with Bill Nelson, who is going to be the one on the front lines of making sure we have enough stuff to respond to it. And I said, what are, are there any specific needs that we have? And he said, there's three things that our church, our little community can help with. One would be bottled water, because as much as people, you know, as much as we have clean water, it would be helpful to have. Two, baby wipes. I was in a home last night with a, a baby, and the mom is like, I'm almost out. I, the reason I was up at 6.30 this morning, driving around, because I was looking for a store that was open that I could buy her some baby wipes. I couldn't find them. So if you have some, bring them on. You can bring them to the church. We're going to have a box out in front of the church. We are going to keep our offices closed this week, although... You can call the, the church. We will be checking in. If you need to call a pastor, here's my cell phone number. Get ready to write it down. 714-925-3660. If you need to get a hold of somebody, if it's an emergency, please call me. I'll send it out in an email along with Jeff's as well. He's really fun to call too. He's better at it. So, water, baby wipes, and diapers, sizes one, two, or three. If you have them or you happen to be in a store, probably not today, probably not tomorrow, but in the next few days, you find yourself in a store and they happen to be there, grab a few of them, drop them off at our church. We will make sure they get to Bill and the Fresh Beginnings crew who will then put them into boxes and get them to the very people who need them the most. Now, with that, let me close with some words that were written by another pastor who was walking with his church community through a very similar pestilence. It's Martin Luther, the original, not, not the King version, um, writing during the Black Plague. And these are his words. I find them very helpful to me about the posture we should take. 
He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. Let's not be ridiculous and silly and pretend it does not exist. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible either for my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid places or persons, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. May we be wise. May we be faithful. May we be generous. Have a wonderful